<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode four of The Complete Works, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith, and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host, and fellow Goldblum maniac, Mike Decretio. How you doing today, Mike? I am doing uh, great. I'm, I'm washing my hands every for 20 seconds. I'm yep. working from home. Social distancing. We're, totally. we're living the dream here. Yeah. Are your, are your hands as dry and cracked as mine are uh, <laughs> at this point? Constantly. Okay. I don't understand. I, I had to buy. I'm surprised that like Vaseline and moisturizer has not been sold out as, as much as like toilet paper <laughs> has, because that was like my first thing when I went to Walmart a couple days ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I needed the moisturizer. It had to be there. Like I literally I could not believe washing your hands that much caused your hands to dry out. It makes no sense. You're putting water on them. Why are they drying? Anyway, as you might expect, we're it's a different situation on the podcast than it was uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so quick announcement before we actually begin this episode on our last Mike and Mike Go to the Movies, which we recorded just seven days ago. We discussed the future of that podcast in the wake of the coronavirus and whether it might have to go on hiatus for a while. It looks like that decision was made for us, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah. we're going to theaters uh, shut down. The movies got pulled or moved uh, six months or the year. So I guess uh, we're just going to do Goldblum for the rest of the year. Yes, so almost every major studio release over the next few months has been delayed and movie theaters across the country shut down uh, and it's been uh, really insane to watch. It's, been, it's a really unprecedented situation that we're looking at uh, in the nation right now, which is wild. Uh, so, and it's hard to do a podcast called Mike and Mike Go to the Movies when you can't actually go to the movies. So since we can't do Mike and Mike for a while, like you said, Mike, that means we're doing this podcast weekly until uh, we finally get back to doing Mike and Mike on a full schedule. Uh, so that means we'll be speeding through the early years of Jeff Goldblum's career and maybe pumping out the occasional bonus Mike and Mike, uh, probably starting next week, of what we've been watching while we're stuck inside the house. Have you watched anything uh, s- uh, since uh, the quarantine really hit, Mike? Uh, no, not a whole lot. I haven't I haven't really had a whole lot of te- time. Uh, you know, I had some stuff to take care of. I guess got set up to work from home. Uh, so now that things are calming down and like I have like the routine, uh, yeah. I'll be able to go back, you know, spend spend some time watching a lot of movies. So. OK. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I uh, I like really started getting into the social distancing thing this past weekend. Uh, I mean, Friday night I was at the movies. I went to the Roxy Theater, which is the indie theater near my house in Missoula, Montana. Uh, and the reason I went is because they had said that they were going to do like the fifty percent capacity thing, try to increase social distancing and all that stuff. They had a really good Facebook post about it, and then like two days later they shut down, uh, <laughs> which was really upsetting. The Roxy is like basically my second house here in Missoula, so I was upset to hear that. But they're going to be closed until at least April, and so this past weekend, Saturday, I didn't do anything except like the I had not left my house in two days other than for work, and Saturday I just spent the entire day in my pajamas watching movies gotta say good day had a good time uh, <laughs> like if this, if this is what quarantine will be i feel like i'm gonna handle it better than most uh so you'll you'll be fine yeah it's basically what i was doing already just more so uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but anyway so back to our goldblum podcast uh we're going through the early years of jeff goldblum's career right now and this time around after having a sort of breakthrough in the business having appeared in two robert altman films we enter 1976 with a trio of movies where Goldblum again plays small supporting roles. And the first of those movies 
was Paul Mazursky's next stop, Greenwich Village. In 1953, Larry Lipinski left his home in Brooklyn. His mother thought it was the end of the world. But he knew it was only the beginning. Larry, where are you going with all that luggage? Greenwich Village. What's in Greenwich Village? Fame and fortune. 20th Century Fox presents Paul Mazursky's Next Stop Greenwich Village. You call this an apartment? I don't call this an apartment. Oh, you call this an apartment? I don't call this an apartment. Got a toilet? I'm dying. It was a world of bars and coffee houses, artists, actors. Not only do I think I could do a great job in this picture, but I am also starving and I could really use the work. And intellectuals. What do you think of Dylan Thomas? He's a great outfielder. I think about suicide once or twice a day. Suicide makes you feel talented. I always wanted to be a star. I want to tell you about the Napoleonic cold Blanche. Next stop, Greenwich Village. It was the perfect place to lose your innocence. Sex is serious. Sex is the most serious thing in the whole world. I'm pregnant. And find yourself. I'm a grown man. I'm not a little boy anymore. I have an apartment. I have a career. I have a life. For some people, it was the first stop. Crazy. <laughs> and who are you? I'm Bernstein. You're Jewish? No, darling. I'm gay. For others, it was the last. I don't want to live. I don't. What can I tell you? People get hurt. Greenwich Village! Greenwich Village! Paul Mazursky's Next Stop Greenwich Village. One way or another, we've all been there. Let's make love. I love you, Sarah. I know. I'll always love you. No, you won't. Now, Paul Mazursky was a filmmaker probably best known for his directorial debut, uh, 1969's Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, uh, which has recently seen a small resurgence as Quentin Tantino has cited as an influence on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's uh, one of the big movies he was talking about in relation to that movie. Uh, especially, we listen to Pure Cinema Podcast a lot. They brought that movie up constantly, especially in the episode with Tarantino was a guest star on. Yeah. Mazursky was a critically acclaimed writer-director for much of his career, earned a few Oscar nominations for his screenplays, and won the Best Picture nomination for 1978's An Unmarried Woman. Uh, but before he was a filmmaker, Paul Mazursky was an actor, and he made his acting debut with a small role in 1953's Fear and Desire, the very first film from director Stanley Kubrick. Uh, wow. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and he's made cameos in his own movies a lot, including this one, actually, uh, and popped up in stuff like Blackboard Jungle, uh, A Star is Born from 1976, and History of the World Part 1, uh, where he plays a Roman soldier. Uh, so there wow. is that also. But in the mid-70s, he reflected back on his youth and wrote a semi-autobiographical version of his life to make into his next feature film, and that's what became Next Stop Greenwich Village. Uh, now, one thing to note about this movie, Mike, is that the lead actor... Um, is Lenny Baker, a young actor who was sort of on the rise in the mid-70s. Uh, he won a Tony for his performance in a Broadway show uh, and was nominated for a Golden Globe for this movie. But in 1978, just two years after this movie came out, he developed a serious illness, uh, possibly HIV-related, but there's no reports uh, that really know for sure, and died in 1982. So next time Greenwich Village 
would end up being his final film appearance and his only leading role. Um, wow. So sort of a footnote in 1970s uh, cinema history there. But uh, obviously we're talking about Jeff Goldblum here, who pops up for two scenes in the back half of this movie as Clyde Baxter, a fellow actor, auditioning for the same part as Larry. Uh, and Lenny Baker is the guy who plays Larry Lipinski, a Jewish kid from Brooklyn who moves to Greenwich Village in 1953 to try to make it as an actor. His mother, Faye Lipinski, is played by Shelley Winters, known for The Diary of Anne Frank, A Place in the Sun, and The Poseidon Adventure. Um, and I was curious if you would recognize his father, Mike, just throwing this out there. You might when I say who it is, but his father, Ben Lipinski, is played by Mike Kellen, who played Mel in Sleepaway Camp. Wow. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> incredible there you go <laughs> that's amazing yes uh sleepaway camp wild movie in case anybody hasn't seen it it's yeah crazy now larry has a large group of friends in the movie living in the city that he hangs out with and that includes his girlfriend sarah who's played by ellen green from little shop of horror she played audrey in that movie uh, which is one of my favorite movies of all time uh this is her film debut and she's like i only really knew her from little shop of horrors i guess i'd seen her in a few other things but like that's like a movie that I latched onto when I was a kid and I love it so much. I just rewatched it recently. It's still great. <laughs> this movie is like, it's a completely different character from what she, what she does in Little Shop of Horrors. And it's like, she's almost unrecognizable. It's wild. Then there's Anita, a girl with suicidal thoughts played by the Lois Smith, uh, known for fatal attraction, minority port. And who was the old lady who hires Ryan Gosling and the nice guys. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> so now that, that is a connection that I'm looking for, Mike. There you go. She's also the nun from Lady Bird. I guess she's had kind of a resurgence lately. Um, Look at that. And then there's Connie, played by Dory Brenner, who had a recurring role in Who's the Boss back in the day. Uh, there's Bernstein, a gay black man, played by Antonio Fargus, a.k.a. Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch. Holy shit. Yeah, there you go. And finally, there's Robert, a womanizing poet intellectual, played by Christopher Walken in a very early role for him. Uh, so very cool to see very young Christopher Walken. This is like pre-Deer Hunter, pre-Annie Hall Christopher Walken. And then from there, Lou Jacoby from movies like Anne Frank, Arthur, and Amazon Women on the Moon plays Herb, uh, Larry's boss at the restaurant. Uh, Joe Spinell from The Godfather and Rocky. Um, he's the uh, the guy who Rocky is like a, owes money to in the first movie. Mm -hmm. uh, he plays the cop at the train station that uh, kind of interrupts Larry while he's monologuing. Um, Vincent Chiavelli from One Floor with Cuckoo's Nest and Fast Times at Richmond High can be seen at the rent party. I don't think he has any lines, but as soon as I saw him, he was like, that's Mr. Vargas from Fast Times. <laughs> <laughs> that's the guy and finally in his very first film appearance bill murray shows up for a blink and you'll miss it part as nick kessler uh he pops up at the bar in the beginning and then you can see him in the background at the rent party too did you catch bill murray when you're watching this movie mike i must have blinked because i definitely did not catch it <laughs> he's literally it's within the first few minutes of the movie uh i will talk about it in a bit i guess but yeah bill murray pops up literally for seconds in this movie uh wow. but when I, as soon as i saw him i was like holy shit it's 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 literally like if you don't know he's there, you will miss him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so next stop, Greenwich Village, was written and directed by Paul Mazursky two years after his previous film, Harry and Tonto, and uh, two years before his next film, An Unmarried Woman. The film was nominated for the Palme d'Or, the Cannes Film Festival, uh, got a WGA nomination for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, the movie was released on February 4th, 1976, and made a little over a million dollars. It looks like it was the only major movie released on that day, although less than a week later, Martin Scorsese would release a little movie that you may have heard of called Taxi Driver, uh, which, you know, kind of a big deal. I mean, they're making Joker movies based on it now. Um, <laughs> and the IMDb plot synopsis for Next Stop Greenwich Village reads... The ups and downs of life as experienced by a group of aspiring young artists in the early 50s New York. Uh, so, Mike, that all out of the way. What are your overall thoughts on Next Stop Greenwich Village? 
I kind of really loved this movie. I, I wasn't really sure what to expect at all going into it. I didn't know anything about it uh, or had never really heard of it. And it kind of felt like one of those like little forgotten like film discovery moments. Uh, yeah. Even though it has this kind of huge cast in all supporting roles, um, you know, like, but it feels like one of these movies that just was made by this kind of like New York art art house like film squad uh in the early 70s and like kind of just put it out and whatever happened happened but yeah i don't know i had a really good time with all with this whole movie almost the whole movie uh by the by the third act things take a pretty dark turn uh and i'm sure we'll get in get into them but yeah it was just this really frank uh just like life of larry lipinski and just you know what it is to be a you know struggling actor in 1953 greenwich village with you know the whole beat generation and all that stuff going on right and um that whole that whole vibe was really cool i don't know like it just you know i guess that was the whole thing with the beat generation the the beatniks you know like yeah. we're all too cool we're smoking cigarettes drinking drinking beer talking about uh being artists in the bars uh and that's a lot of fun like it was fun to just be with those people and yeah. uh these these characters all these people were really interesting and, and feel alive in some weird way uh like that that whole like crew that like main crew that they're all like the friends that the movie kind of focuses on i don't know it just seemed like they'd be fun to hang out with but i guess it has that kind of classic uh you know like self-referential thing because the you know so semi-autobiographical where it turns out like actually we all fucking suck <laughs> we're terrible people <laughs> uh so it, it takes that turn at the end uh which i'm sure we'll get into but for most of the runtime i was i was pretty engaged and, and had a fun time with this movie yeah i uh, also really enjoyed this movie uh it's a really great hangout movie you know it's one of those things where you put it on like you, it does a really great job of creating a very fun cast of characters uh, and I really love coming of age movies in general. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like movies depicting being in your 20s and like trying to figure out who you are. Like, that's just something I latch on to for some reason. Who knows why? Uh, <laughs> and it feels like a fairly timeless depiction of that, even though it takes place in 1953 uh, and a cool kind of yeah. depiction of the uh, the beat generation, like you said. And I, I think it's an awesome movie. I wish it was more readily available to people. I feel like this is a movie that like if it could be like rediscovered down the line if it's like, you know, available somewhere. Um, but it's, but it's not on any streaming services. It's not, I don't think it has a Blu-ray or anything, or it might have like a, a specialty Blu-ray release, like a twilight time. I want to say, yeah, twilight time, put it out. So that okay. is, it is available, but that is like a, a boutique Blu-ray label. Like you'd have right. to know to go look for it. Yeah. I mean, otherwise there's basically like no way to actually find it online unless you're going through illegal means. Uh, because I mean, even if I typed, I typed it into a just watch, which is the app that like tells you where anything is streaming at any given time. Uh, and it didn't even have an entry for Next Stop Greenwich Village. Like, it didn't even have, like, you know, a, a thing that, like, this movie existed kind of thing. Wow. So, you know, that was a little difficult. But it did have a Netflix disc. I was able to get it through Netflix. And then when I got it, the disc was cracked. And What? <laughs> like, yeah. broken, not like, scratched. Like, yeah, it literally, like, there was, like, a, a crack in the disc. And, like, I could, like, kind of pull one side of the disc up higher than the other. <laughs> what um, the fuck? Yeah, so I had to send it back and I had to go find the movie online through extra legal means. But uh, yeah, that was <laughs> I tried. I tried to do it through the, the legitimate channels and I couldn't do it in time for the podcast uh, because of Netflix. Blame Netflix for that one. It's all Netflix's fault. It's all Netflix's fault. But I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, I think one of the things I kind of liked about it, it almost feels like an off-Broadway, like one-man show, sort of. <laughs> yeah. um, you remember, there was like an SNL sketch like years ago where it was Fred Armisen uh, doing like a one-man show. And he's like, it sure was crazy living in Greenwich Village. But the characters I met there were even crazier. <laughs> and that felt like the thing that that, that felt like the thesis of this movie, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Th- I, I was thinking a lot of uh, of Oh, Hello on Broadway uh, while I was watching this movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, exactly. But yeah, but really enjoyed it. I think Ellen, Ellen Green, to me, is the total standout of the movie. She plays Sarah, his girlfriend. I think she's incredible. I think her character is just really razor sharp and witty. And again, a complete 180 from Audrey and Little Shop, which have you seen Little Shop of Horrors, Mike? I have, but not to the extent that you have. So I don't really remember her performance as Audrey. Okay, well, I mean, Audrey is, uh, you know, also a city girl, but she's, you know, it's a very high pitched voice and it's the blonde wig and very tight clothes. And like, it's just a, right. it's a very different performance than what she gives here, which is much more down to earth. And I think it's it's really interesting. I, again, I really only knew her for Little Shop. I had seen her in a couple other things here and there. Like I looked at her Wikipedia page and I was like, oh, yeah, she was in this movie and she was in this movie. Um, but like I knew her as Audrey. And then when I saw her in this movie, I was like, is that the role that Ellen Green is playing? And it turns out it was. <laughs> And she's incredible in this movie. I think she's awesome. So it gave, it gave me a greater appreciation for Ellen Green's talents as an actress, I guess. Nice. And it was her first ever movie, which is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it does. I think the movie balances comedy and drama really well. Like you said, it does take some dark turns toward the third act of the movie. But, uh, you know, it, there's still like a lot of light stuff that's happening around it, too. Like the Jeff Goldblum mm-hmm. scenes are in that third, like that third act of the movie, too. Which are very funny. The Jeff Goldblum stuff is great. Yes. We're going to get to that in a second. But you get the uh, the fun and freedom of these people kind of living on their own in New York for the first time. But you also get into the psychology of each character and what hurts or scares them. I think when you said they like they feel alive, like it does a really good job of making all these characters who you know are part of a big ensemble. All of them have like their own inner wants and desires and like they're all their own like kind of mental problems they're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, the screenplay for this is is really intense. I guess. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was it was fun to just be able to, uh, you know, hang out with these characters in the bar and then they're, you know, having these long discussions about uh, whether or not the word word uh, terrible is what the, you should use to describe the Rosenbergs. Right. Is that what their names? Are right. The Rosenbergs. Yeah. Uh, the, the, ones the, who the husband and wife that were like executed for espionage. Yeah. That um, was, uh, I mean, I haven't thought about the Rosenbergs in a very, very long time, but based on my re- recollection of like 11th grade history. Yes, that was the thing. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's going on. And then we're also, uh, you know playing subway at the rent party whatever the fuck that was uh but right. that rent party scene's amazing it looked like so much fun it looked like just like a good yeah. time like good party to hang out at. Def- definitely violates the quarantine protocol though there's more than 10 right. people there <laughs> <laughs> this is true although they didn't know about it in 1953 <laughs> right that's right <laughs> there was one there's one guy in the room who's just like man that coronavirus it's coming guys it's, it's coming it's a very prescient movie is what we're saying but anyway uh so also every once in a while the movie kind of breaks into these surrealist acting fantasies too um, yeah. that, are, that usually involve his mother, uh, which are often very funny. I think also reveal a lot about their relationship. This is a very Jewish movie, too. Um, we, should, we should say yes. that also. Paul Mazursky, of course, being a Jewish person, uh, you know, a lot of it is about sort of the generation gap between his generation and his parents' generation and, you know, how they're dealing with that and how, you know, the overbearing Jewish mother and that kind of thing, it's all coming into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how he relates to his generation as a result of that and how that kind of screwed him up internally a little bit. Yeah, his uh, his father's always te- giving him advice, being like, you know, during the Depression, which, you know, is like 35 years before this movie takes place or whatever. Right. And it, yeah, it's, he's got this this guilt hanging over him the whole time, which uh, that tracks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So we, we like the, we like the movie. We can establish that. Uh, now let's get to Jeff Goldblum, who is in the movie uh, yes. for two scenes. But I would say it's easily the most substantial role we've seen from him on this podcast. Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, the only other real contender, I guess, would be Nashville because he's in several scenes throughout that movie, but he doesn't actually have any dialogue. So he's just kind of there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's great. He's great when he's there. But like, he's just kind of there uh, in this movie. He has two relatively long scenes of him kind of riffing a little bit. And I think he is great. I think this is arguably the first, like, quote unquote, Jeff Goldblum performance in full uh, that we've gotten so far. Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely agree. Uh, he's doing the hand thing. He's kind of stuttering a little bit. He's yep. 
He's he's being he's being Goldblum in this movie. Finally, we did it. We we made it, Ma. Here we go. <laughs> episode four, fourth episode. Shut it down now. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's dynamic to watch just because you're not quite sure like what acting choice he's going to go for at any given moment. Like you can tell it's Goldblum, um, but it's like a young, hungry Goldblum who is like I feel like what I like about these early roles is he seems so excited to just be on screen. Yes. Where, which you know he also has that throughout his career. Like I feel like that never really leaves. But like because he's in his twenties and because. I think this reflects like this movie kind of reflects where he was in his life at the time. He was a young struggling actor in New York in the mid seventies. And this is just about a young, he's playing a young struggling actor in New York in the mid fifties in this movie. It's, it's not a stretch for him by any means, but so yeah, in his first scene, uh, go bloom meets Larry at a casting call and they talk about their experience. Uh, what I also like about this, um, um, this might've slipped past you, Mike, it kind of goes by pretty fast, but go bloom mentions that he studied for six years under Sandy which is a reference to uh, Goldblum's real-life acting teacher, Sanford Meisner, who I mentioned in the first episode of this podcast. So that, that was like a cool connection to draw, too. That was, that was I like it. Yeah, and I think that... Uh, yeah, when that came up uh, in the movie, I was like, I wonder if this is the real thing. Because I remember you mentioning it, but I couldn't remember what the names were. So okay. I didn't know if that was where he actually studied. Uh, yep. So I'm glad to find out that it was. Yes, there it is. Uh, so I know that's pretty cool. And I feel like that kind of emphasizes, like, I feel like there was some improvisation going on throughout this movie. Um, and I think the Goldblum scene especially like has some of that. Uh, I think the subway scene also is like when they're doing like, the fake subway thing at the party, that feels like a very like improv heavy scene. Oh yeah. Yeah. But th- throughout that Goldblum scene, I mean, he's just like, I, th- I feel like a lot of the biggest laughs come from those two Goldblum scenes, uh, in the movie. And, uh, you know, the first, the first time you see Goldblum, he's like yelling at the secretary being like, I think, I believe I was before them. Was, was I, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And then he meets Larry and he- they kind of hit it off right away. And they're like talking for a bit. And then Larry gets called in and then Goldblum goes back up to the desk. And he's like, I believe I was before him. Was I not? <laughs> uh, which is pretty great. Unfortunately, I can't find any real clips of Goldblum on YouTube uh, in this movie. Mm. Uh, because this, again, this movie barely has like any digital footprint. So there, there are some like YouTube clips here and there of the movie, but like there's a clip of Bill Murray's first appearance and there's some Christopher Walken stuff. But for some reason, there's no Goldblum stuff, which is a shame. He's got one of my favorite running bits in the whole movie is that he, uh, you know, Larry Lipinski and he's like, no one's going to remember that name. You got to change your name. Like Clyde, Clyde Baxter is not my real name. It's Charlie something. And I forget what it is. Right. It's like my head. Bolflowski or something like, yeah. Yeah. And then Larry keeps forgetting that his name is Clyde and keeps calling him Charlie, uh, which is the name right. no one's supposed to be able to remember. Uh, <laughs> it's great. I just lo- like it's a little subtle thing. It happens a couple of times and it's just like Mwah, beautiful chef's kiss. Yeah, totally. Uh, so that's like his first scene where they kind of hit it off. And then in the second scene, Goldblum is waiting behind Larry to get a screen test uh, for the part. Uh, and, you know, Larry has just done a screen test. He sees Clyde or uh, Gary or whatever his name was. Uh, and Jeff Goldblum is telling Larry, like, hey, you shouldn't have lied on your uh, screen test tape because he says something like um, about the experience that he's had or something on, on stage or whatever. He, he uses his. He uses Charlie, uh, Clyde's. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then so Larry, like, kind of gets pissed at him. And then, like, you know, Larry leaves. And then somebody, like, off screen, which I believe is Paul Mazursky. Uh, Paul Mazursky, his cameo in the movie mm-hmm. is him as the casting director. Um, uh okay yeah so goldblum is like you know just annoyed and he's like kind of talking to himself and somebody says i'm like hey be quiet on set and he's like be quiet i am being quiet what are you what are you talking about and then they get angry at him he's like who are you he's like i'm one of the actors screen testing he's like well i think you blew the audition it's like all right and he storms <laughs> out uh so yeah it was, it was good stuff from goldblum just overall like this this was a really fun jeff goldblum performance uh again only get two scenes out of goldblum but the two scenes you get are really really good yeah i think i think uh Besides Nashville, it's like the to- most total on-screen 
uh, we've had Goldblum, but uh, most substantial because he actually he talks this time exactly. for sure. <laughs> so yeah, how, how do you think this fits into the roles that we've seen Jeff Goldblum play so far, Mike? By the way, again, there's only three roles to compare it to, so <laughs> don't, don't feel so, too bad. So I mean, <laughs> I guess it feels the it feels the most akin to California Split because he also talks in this movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> yes and and it's not uh you know freak number one crazy uh you know murder murder man uh, like right. he was in death wish uh so uh, you know it's the most uh, normal person ca- character i guess we've had so far yeah that's fair i mean like i was, uh, like i said i don't think it really fits in with any of his roles but it does feel the most like jeff goldblum the person um you know, at that time, especially that young actor in New York, and he's drawn upon that experience to play this role. I also think Nashville did sort of establish some of Goldblum's uh, on-screen mannerisms. Is that you know that scene in Nashville where he's kind of like throwing salt in the air and he's making weird hand gestures? Uh, yeah, and it feels like this movie adds dialogue to that and uh, gives it a voice. So, mm, uh, interesting. Yes. So it's it's almost like Goldblum's like career is like it's much like I think most actors' careers like you kind of start with these really small roles and they build and build over time into bigger and bigger parts. That's sort of what Jeff Goldblum's getting at right now. So I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious what the size of his roles are going to be for the next two movies that we're going to talk about, uh, which are Special Delivery, which is the next one with uh, Bo Svensson and Sybil Shepherd, uh, and then Saint Ive, which is another Charles Bronson movie that Jeff Goldblum happens to be uh, another kind of extra criminal in. I mean, I feel like uh, they, they all three of these movies came out in the same year, right? Uh, yeah, all 1976. Yeah, so I feel like these next couple ones will probably be similar or smaller roles, and then you know yes. once we hit 77. That's it. We're off to the races. Hopefully. I have no idea what. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I know seventy eight is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I have seen, and he's a supporting role in that movie, but it's a significant supporting role. So there is okay. that aspect of it too. So I think you know, in in that two year span, that's kind of where we start getting the build up to Jeff Goldblum. But yeah, right now, two scenes in the movie, but he steals the scenes that he's in. So that's good stuff yeah. from Goldblum right here. Uh, other than the Goldblum stuff, Mike, any moments or scenes that stood out to you in uh, uh, Next Up, Granite Village? Uh, this movie has this fun thing where it's kind of just like a series of vignettes, right? It's just sort of mm-hmm. we're following following Larry uh, through these moments in his life. Uh, so the one that I mean, the big one that stands out to me is the the rent party slash subway game thing. Sure. Uh, yeah. Which just feels like the most beat dick. Like we're all just <laughs> young college age guy people living in in greenwich village in manhattan and we're gonna cram 50 people into this two two room apartment and uh just have a giant party and then mom and dad are gonna come bust it uh (laughs) which is the best worst thing because then they ever i love i love that the that moment when you just see the like absolute like despair on larry's face but everyone else at the party is like yeah come on and like get him (laughs) drinks and then bernstein starts dancing with mom and like it's just like everyone else is having fun but it's the worst thing that larry could ever go through yep yeah, which is also, which is like how it kind of goes throughout the movie. I feel like they show up at the worst possible time for Larry at any given situation, um, yes. which is always really funny. Um, but especially during that rent party scene, um, it's great. When the mom dances with Bernstein, that's such a joyous moment where she's like, oh, Bernstein, yeah. you're Jewish? And it's like, no, I'm gay. And it's like, I don't care how happy you are. Let's dance. <laughs> like, yeah. like just completely oblivious to it, uh, which is pretty mm-hmm. great. Uh, so yeah, really, really, really enjoyed that stuff. And that whole rent party scene is really fun. And like we kind of said before, it seemed like a lot of it was improv too. Like, it, like I, yeah. I, I haven't read the script of this movie. I don't actually know, but it seems like, you know, especially when they're doing like the party games and stuff, the subway game, the truth game, uh, you know, I, I really loved all that stuff. And it's like, I feel like the big Christopher Walken moment too, cause he has a big, uh, the truth game thing. Oh yeah. He's the one oh. that suggests playing it, but yeah. And Christopher, Christopher Walken so good and so slimy in this movie. Uh, he's like, oh man, he's great. <laughs> 
What a beautiful piece of shit he is in yes, this movie. It's it's fantastic. And you don't even like you don't even hate him, I feel like, in the movie. You just kind of like like I feel like you sort of get sucked in like the way Larry does at the beginning, where he's like, This guy's really fascinating, and then by the end you're like, Man, this guy's a piece of shit. Um <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh but yeah, so I mean there's the opening scene with uh, Larry leaving home. And I, I think that that pretty perfectly captures his dynamic with his parents, like pretty early on, where he's just like arguing with his mom the entire time. Uh, and she's like, yeah. oh, why is my son leaving? And he's like, you're just trying to make me feel guilty and all that stuff. And he leaves. And then it kind of cuts to, I guess some time has passed because it immediately, it immediately cuts to him and Sarah like in bed. Uh, so like they've been dating for a while or a little bit at least and stuff like that. Uh, and he takes her out to the bar. And that's where you see Bill Murray in the bar, by the way. Um, oh. So as soon as they enter the bar, um, Bill Murray is there on the side um, with a mustache, wearing a sombrero around his neck. Uh, and he says, buenas noches, senor. And then, <laughs> and and then Larry tells um, Sarah a story about the time that Bill Murray's character uh, tried to go to Mexico and then uh, got a taco at the airport and then had like horrible like shits like yeah like, yeah and then like spent like two and a half hours in the airport and came back and that was basically it. Hi, buenas noches, señora. How are you? Good. Who's that? It's Nick Kessler. It's a crazy guy. Saved up all his money to go to Mexico. Wanted to see the ruins, you know, get into the primitive thing. So he quit his job and everything, and he took off for Mexico City on Monday. Two beers, right? Yesterday, Monday? Right. So he got off the plane, and he ate a taco, and he got a terrible case of the shits. <laughs> so he took the next plane back. Spent two and a half hours in Mexico. He says it stinks. <laughs> so that's That was about Bill Murray's character in the bar, is basically... Amazing. That was Bill Murray there. Uh, and then you also see Bill Murray in the background of the rent party, which again, again, you, it's a blink and you miss him thing. He's literally like, in the background of a couple of sequ- like shots, uh, and it's mm-hmm. there's w- there's one shot where you can see him pretty clearly, where there's a like, kind of a crowd of like three people, and Bill Murray's like right behind them, and you can kind of just see like Bill Murray standing there. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, but yeah, so that that's the Bill Murray stuff you're gonna get in this movie. Uh, maybe we'll cover it again on our Bill Murray podcast next season, but. <laughs> Until then, time will tell. Time will tell. I also really love the scene where uh, Larry is walking back from Sarah's and he's doing his Brando impression. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really great. Because uh, a streetcar in desire would have just been out like for two years at that point, so whatever. So he was like obviously perfecting it or whatever. Uh, and he's doing like a fake Oscar speech at the subway and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then the cop stops him. It's like, are you supposed to be doing Brando? <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, it's Brando. It's like your Brando sounds like Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> Show me your Edward G. Robinson, and it doesn't sound anything like Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I like that whole scene. It's like, uh, what a what a pleasant interaction with a police officer, you know? <laughs> Remember when that was a thing? Back in 1953. I mean, yep, for yeah. a white guy. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I really like that whole sequence. Uh, and then again, like you can, like you said, it's kind of just like vignettes throughout the movie. Like you know, the movie will bring up a storyline, and it'll be about that for about 15 minutes, and then it'll kind of drop it, and then move on to something else, sort of thing, like a slice of life type yeah. deal. Um, but there is a recurring bit about their friend Anita who um, threatens to commit suicide every week. Uh, and they all treat yes. it like a joke and they go to cheer her up. And it's always pretty funny like when they're going. They're like, doing a conga line down the street and be like, oh, we're going to go save Anita and that kind of thing. Uh, and their reactions to it are funny and the way they cheer her up is funny. And you know, there's the bit where they're like, hey, why don't we go see uh, Limelight in theaters, and like, which is a Charlie Chaplin movie. And she's like, I love Charlie Chaplin. You know? And then towards the end, she actually does it. She kills herself. Um, yeah. And the moment where Christopher Walken opens the door and just flatly says, like, she's dead, like, holy shit, man, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was really intense because that's that's the one 
uh, when they're doing the cha-cha down the street is that time. Yes. Uh, so they're like, you know, laughing, they got wine and drinks and they're like, oh, we're going to go save Indeed, uh, like doing the whole thing. Yep. And then uh, they're still like partying and he just is in the background and he opens the door and, and finds her yep. uh, and just got damn. Yeah, like abrupt stop, and then we get the uh, Connie. I think tells the story of how she met Anita, and it's like this tra- whole tragic thing. I don't know, it's, be- yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, just the way, like again, like you said, Chris Walken's like in the background, and he opens the door. But as soon as he, as soon as he does it, you can see it on his face, like like before he says yeah. anything, even though everyone else is still partying. And it's like it's a really great acting moment from Christopher Walken. Uh, and like, hey, it's it's Walken, man. He's great. Like, I, like honestly, I consider yeah. doing a Christopher Walken podcast, um, but that would be <laughs> that would take us a million years. So I figured maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's an incredible actor, and I think that's that's a moment where it's like, oh shit, that's yeah, that's why you get Walken. But yeah, and he's playing the world's best hipster from before hipsters were invented. Basically, like it's, it's just, <laughs> well, yeah, it's yeah, what the I hipsters mean, think they are. That's true. Yeah, uh, every hipster is just trying to be Christopher Walken in the next time around. I feel like basically. <laughs> <laughs> Correct, basically. Um, but your your first real taste of him is like you mentioned before. He's arguing about the Rosenbergs with Larry and Sarah and trying to figure out the right word for it. I think my favorite, mo- I think my favorite Christopher Walken moment in the movie like, is when he's telling Larry about how he had sex with his sister when he was nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, yeah, uh, it's like it's such a grody story, but it's one of those things where it's like this is like weirdly like this is it's a very funny moment I think. Uh, and he's like, oh, she joined a convent and now she's part of a weird sex group, like with whips and chains. And like, again, it's all in Walken's inflection, you know? Yeah. And he's doing it then, which is hilarious. Yes. <laughs> like even back in 1976, he's got the whole thing. Right. That's just the way Christopher Walken talks and he is go- running with it for 50 years. It's great. Tom, after my first affair. How old were you? Nine and a half. Who did you have the affair with? My sister. She was 19, ravishing beauty. She looked like Jean Tierney. Oh, I love Jean Tierney. She looks like uh, a Chinese empress. Seriously, my sister. What happened to her? She joined a Carmelite order, became a nun. She's a nun. She was. Two years ago, she left the nunnery. Where's she now? in Paris. She's a member of a bizarre sadomasochistic uh, sexual order. Whips, chains, hot candles, that sort of thing. Mm, sounds like a fun person. Uh, I, th- I took that whole story as them trying to gross out the secretary that they're sitting next to. Because they both are like staring at her while they tell this weird crazy story. Oh yeah. No, that's, uh, that's definitely, yeah, that's definitely part of it too. Uh, but the thing is, throughout the movie, Christopher Walken tells these stories. Um, right. Okay. Like, yeah. True. Very similar stories to that one. Uh, you know, when they're doing the abortion storylines, like, ah, I remember my first abortion. You know, that <laughs> which is a real line. That's a line he says in the movie. You know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, and there's like stuff like that, and like you, it's unclear like how much of this is like a fabricated part of this persona that he's built up, uh, and mm-hmm. how much, and you know how much of it is actually real. Uh, so I could totally, yeah, I could totally see him just trying to gross out the uh, the person. That's totally fine. That's totally like a read yeah. on that scene. Um, yeah but like it's also it's also like i feel like he wants larry to believe that story also i yeah i think you're right yeah there's a uh a lot of stuff about that like the facade and the you know the stuff people that you just kind of like the people that stumble into your lives and they just like will make up a story because you've never met them before right uh it's like an underlying theme <laughs> throughout this <Yeah>. whole movie <laughs> uh but back to the abortion plot line real quick i was sure. shocked at uh how like frank and upfront that was in this movie and it's just like this is a fact of life and it's a thing that happens yeah no i agree i think my favorite line in the movie comes from that actually which is when um 
Ellen Green, when it first happens, like Ellen Green goes to um, where Larry works, um, and she's like, I gotta talk to you. And she's like, what's going on? She's like, I'm pregnant. Uh, and it's like, okay, I'll take off. And, he, and they're in the street, and he's like, oh, well, what are we gonna do? And she says, I don't know about you, but I'm gonna get an abortion. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was great. Amazing. It's, a, it's such a funny line. Um, but I, I, yeah, I really like just the matter of fact way the movie deals with it um, and what they have to go through in order to get it. You know, like it's, it's right. the seventies. So it's very difficult to do. Uh, you know, they have to pretend they're it's married. The 50s. At the hosp- oh yeah. The fifties. Yeah. It's even harder to do in the fifties. <laughs> um, but they, they both have to like pretend they're married to so the hospital will take them in and stuff like that. And they have to get like a special pill. that will make her bleed. So they make her think they have to like, kind of, you know, all this, it's a whole thing. It's a whole process. Yeah. Um, you know, in order to do it safely, which is, you know, it's pretty wild. And so I like the way this movie kind of deals with that and how it doesn't have any like big scenes either about how like, you know, Ellen Green feels about it. Like it, it allows her to express it a lot more subtly, I think, because um, that character, yeah. that character just isn't the kind of person that has like big emotional moments, you know, until the, until like, the very end of the movie, which even then, like it's it's fairly restrained. But like throughout the whole storyline, like it's all on her facial expressions about how she's feeling about it and stuff like that. And she's, you know, she's having this baby, but she doesn't want to like, like it's very clear early on, like she does not want to, end up with Larry, you know, and Larry, and and Larry views that relationship so differently than she does where she's like, we're going to get married one day. Uh, which is, I think one of those things that, um, stems from his overbearing Jewish mother, where she's like, this is like the thing that has to happen at some point. Um, yeah, the the conversation after the rent party where the mom is there and cleaning up and she's like, well, uh, tell me everything about like, you know, wants to know everything. And like, are you, you know, yeah. when are you guys going to get married? Or like, are, <laughs> are you uh, oh, what does she say? I forget. Does she say make whoopee? What is, I forget what she uses. Some like old fashioned phrase, which is she hilarious. says some kind of old fashioned thing to try to get them to say it, I guess, because she's yeah. she suspects it. But, you know, and Larry's trying to tell Sarah not to say anything. <laughs> Um, and then like after an, right. after a very uncomfortable silence uh sarah's like well yeah we've had sex uh and like the reaction that from, was it yeah the reaction from larry first was like thanks and <laughs> and then the mom freaks out perfect it was so good yeah. uh so yeah that that whole stuff was great again that was like right after the rent party too uh again i, I love ellen green in this movie and shelly winters as the mom also i think is really really terrific yeah, that one um, surrealist uh, acting class dream that he has uh, where his right. mom is there is the scene partner. Yeah, and he's, is and he's making, hilarious. He's making out with his mom in the, uh, <laughs> in the scene. Yeah, and then she's tap dancing. It's right. very strange. There's a, there's a decent amount of tap dancing in this movie. Just throwing that out there. there there's is, also that there one is. scene where he's talking to the casting director or the, cast, or the agent or whatever. And the agent's like, oh, I used to be a tap dancer. And he starts tap dancing at <laughs> the floor. It's great. I you used know. to do vaudeville. No, 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 no. He starts <laughs> dancing. It's crazy. <laughs> the Michigan frog. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's great. More movies should have tap dancing. It's basically the, uh, the conclusion that we're coming to with this one, I think. I think you're right. If there's one takeaway you can take away from this podcast is that more movies need to have tap dancing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then after all that, like that's the audition scene and that's the scene with Goldblum in it where he meets them. And then there's the screen test, um, which is right before Goldblum's second scene. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting because, you know, the, the idea that Larry is supposed to be like a tough guy. I thought it was very funny because it doesn't seem like that at all throughout the movie, you know? No. Um, but they're just like, yeah. they're just like, oh, well, you grew up on the streets of Brooklyn. You're a tough guy. And like, they kind of just throw him in there and he has like a leather jacket. And he's kind of putting on like, uh, I, I'm trying to think of like what actor he's like, kind of, he's, it sort of seems like he's doing the Fonz, like when he's doing the, uh, yeah, when, kind when he's of. doing the screen test voice. He's like, hey, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn and, uh, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. I, I like that he hands it up. Like when he talks to the, uh, uh, the very first scene with the casting director guy and he tells him like what part of Brooklyn he grew up in. And he's like, Oh, murder incorporated, huh? Like, wow, crazy. Yeah. And then, and then he steals that. He uses that in the screen test and then also steals Clyde's acting 
prestige, or, you know, or his history. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was a really interesting, like revealing scene about Larry that he's willing to like just flat out lie to get this acting job. <laughs> Pretty much. And that's what Tanks Goldblum's uh, chances as an actor too. In the, exactly. In the that's a shame. Uh, and then other stuff kind of scattered throughout the movie. I mean, I also, uh, like we mentioned, there's always, every character has at least like one big kind of scene. And I think the scene where Bernstein is just under the covers not wanting to engage yes. in the outside world is really, really great. He's kind of telling about how he's living the lie, how he his name isn't actually Bernstein. Uh, the only part of him that's real is the fact that he's gay and black and the world hates that. Uh, and stuff like that. That's, you know, it's really powerful stuff. And I think, you know, especially because 1953, it feels re- it resonates. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what I was referencing with the whole like, uh, you know, this the facade that people put up about themselves is kind of this underlying three theme throughout the movie. Uh, and yeah, that seems really intense. And, and I, I appreciate that scene with Larry uh, or Larry in that scene when he kind of is like, you know, doing this bit to make his friend feel better kind of thing. And he's talking right. about like, well, you know, no, going number one, that's a, that's a staple. Number two, hilarious. You know, and he's going through like all the, the like, you know, fart jokes, uh, that would make anybody laugh kind of thing. Right. Uh, it's like really yeah. endearing. Absolutely. And that, and that also reflects back to the, the acting class that he took before where the, the acting teacher is telling him like, you joke to avoid the truth and that kind of thing. Like you're avoiding any kind of emotional, right. like, uh, um, emotional attachment because you're like just deflecting it with jokes. Uh, and that is something that, uh, you know, he, has to work on in real life too. So that's, uh, that's a perfect example of that. But, uh, and then kind of shortly after that is the, the reveal that, um, Ellen Green's character, Sarah, uh, Larry's girlfriend has slept with Christopher Walken, uh, many times yeah. with the resulting breakup. Um, which of course his parents walk in on, uh, which, <laughs> which, you know, it's a very intense scene when they break up. Uh, obvi- and there's a, you know, a scene where Larry hits Sarah and it's not great. Um, Nope. But, you know, it's, it's just a very emotionally draining scene. And I think Ellen Green is terrific in it. But then, yeah. the, then the parents walk in and it becomes kind of funny where it's just like it's deeply upsetting still. Like you can see like how broken they are as a result of this breakup. Um, but the parents are like just so incredulous. Like, oh, what are you doing? You hear what? Yeah. Yeah. Sleep with this girl. You got to get married. And like, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. That whole scene is just uh, the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible, but it is the absolute worst uh, because they've had that. They have that big argument. Uh, and I, and I love the juxtaposition between, uh, Connie and, uh, Christopher Walken's character, whose name I forget on top of my head. Uh, they're still in the Robert, they're still in the restaurant and they're like, uh, after, after Larry and Sarah leave to have this conversation before we go to them, they're in the restaurant and they're like, oh, well, you know, uh, you want to go back to my place? Like make love for a few hours. And it's like, well, okay, before you change your mind, let's go. And it's like this, you know, <laughs> kind of like lighthearted, goofy thing. Right. Uh, and then we go to uh, Larry and Sarah and it's they're having an argument in the street first. And then he's like, let's go make love like real angrily. And it's yeah. like, oh, man, that's just the worst. And then she like, you know, reveals that she slept with Robert and then he slaps her and then chokes her and then slaps her some more. And yeah. then it's this like whole awkward, terrible thing. And then the parents come in and it's just like, what is happening? <laughs> like, this is the worst possible thing over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. So she, uh, but yeah, she, she storms out after that, Sarah. And I believe that's the last yeah. you see of her in the movie. Yeah. Yes. But then you hear later on that she and Robert kind of went to Mexico city together, which I mean, she had wanted to go to Mexico the entire movie. That was like her entire goal was to get out of New York and go right. to Mexico. Uh, and so now they've done that. Uh, and there's like one good joke towards the end where um, he's talking, he's talking to his mom and he's like, whatever happened to that girl you were dating? And, and he's like, would you, would you believe she ran off with a lover to Mexico? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, they teach you these jokes in Greenwich village or something like that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but, you know, by, by the end, the group has, like, basically broken up. You know, uh, I mean, Anita has died. Right. You know, Sarah and Robert are in Mexico. Larry is going to L.A. to work on a movie. He got the part. Uh, so the only ones left in New York are Bernstein and Connie. And also a nice detail, which I really liked, is that when we, when we leave Connie and formerly Anita's apartment, like they live together, um, when, we see, mm-hmm. when they see that place for the last time, there's like an out-of-focus statue of Charlie Chaplin on the counter. Um, yeah. Which was like a really good callback to early in the movie when she was like, I love Charlie Chaplin. You know, just and again, another like extra note of heartbreak that uh, the movie kind of goes for. You know, it's I've, I've talked about this before, but I feel like movies that are generally funny but have a sense of melancholy around them are those are movies that affect me a lot like you know that's you know yeah. Wes Anderson movies or Noah Baumbach movies are good examples of those uh and this is a good example of that too I actually like when I was watching this I felt like I feel like this was an influence on uh, Inside Lou and Davis by the Coen brothers whoa and then I looked it up and apparently they have like name dropped this movie a couple of times so it would make sense <laughs> Uh, yeah, much like California Split, it was it was a influence on Uncut Gems. We're connecting back to current movies right. with uh, with this Goldblum podcast, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, and there was also that really that really heartbreaking moment, uh, like in retrospect, at the rent party. I think it is where we see Anita, and she's like all excited and she fell in love and she's going to marry this guy. And he's you know a six foot tall and he's a sailor and he had to go to uh, I forget wherever. So he had to sail off to some some you know f- far away place for the right, month, yeah. or month or something, and she's like, "Oh, when he comes back, we're gonna get married." And then it's a joke that you know, like Bernstein's like, "Oh man, I found this six foot sailor, and he's blonde, and he's beautiful, and I love him." And it's like, "Oh man, that's funny." Like that they kind of you know two sides of the same thing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but then Anita's thing where she's saying like, "Ken, he's not an intellectual, and he's he's not a painter, and he's not a poet, and he's just a regular dude." And <laughs> she wants out of this beat generation so bad. Yeah. Uh, that and then she dies over it. I guess is where I'm going with that. Uh, but it, at the time, it's. it's it's played like a joke, like, oh, man, like they both love the same person kind of kind of thing. And then it's like, oh, wait, fuck, dude. Yep, <laughs> there it is. Uh, so, yeah, they all kind of break up. And then at, at, the movie kind of ends with, um, you know, Larry back in his parents apartment and telling them, like, hey, I'm going out to L.A. and all that stuff. Uh, I also really like his relationship with his dad in the movie. It, like, it's a very kind of aloof thing, sort of. Um, but it feels very yeah. it feels very true to life where the dad's just like making awkward small talk throughout the movie. With with his son, where she's like, "Oh, how many engines does the plane have?" <laughs> you know, oh four. Yeah, that's a, that's a safe number. That's a good number. <laughs> yeah, and the mom is even like, "Where'd you hear that? Like, what are you talking about?" Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that that felt like you know, like if you're not sure what toxic masculinity is, um, take a look at this movie and see the relationship between the Larry and his dad in this movie and how uh just completely stifled and smothered their relationship has to be uh, right you know quote unquote so there's that that sequence where this he's kind of saying about his parents his dad kind of says that and his mom saying i think his mom's final line i don't know if it's it's her final line but like the final sentiment uh where she's like if you ever meet clark gable in hollywood tell him i always loved him and saw all of his pictures i thought that was like a great note to end her character on that was just like a perfect like you know like she like she's so like she was so against her son being an actor but it feels like she's come around and being like hey by the way if you ever meet clark gable (laughs) Tell, tell him I love yeah him. uh that was great it was, it was a good note to like kind of end their relationship on yeah and the 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 way that that when he moves out it's actually i think later when they visit him for the first time in greenwich village where she's like yeah when you don't call me like when you're gonna call me at four o'clock every yep. you know you don't write to me like what are you gonna do and here at the end when he's leaving for la he's like i'll write to you every day and i'll call you every other day at four o'clock and right. like you know they've developed an actual relationship now yeah uh which is uh, pr- pretty nice yeah Pretty great. Uh, all right. So we've kind of gone through the beginning of the movie through the end. Is there any other scenes throughout the movie, Mike, that you kind of want to quickly bring up 
before we move on to letterbox reviews uh there's not really a specific scene um but there's this kind of feeling that sort of happens at the end of this movie especially at the like i think the very end when he's like on the street and he's watching the kids you know play ball and then the guy's playing the fiddle and yeah. like you know he's kind of like realizing this is his home kind of thing yep. um but I, I thought of that the thing at of uh, the running joke in Oh Hello that the <laughs> that they always kind of end on this like <laughs> like totally mundane line of dialogue that sort of all of a sudden is supposed to have meaning even though this this final shot has meaning in this movie sure. but yeah. <laughs> just kind of like you know yeah I know yeah waiter I'll have two root beers please or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah yeah fade to black, yeah. black. Back, back to that off Broadway thing I'm telling you it's just, it feels like, yeah. it feels like it's structured like one of those kind of shows. Um, absolutely yeah and the, and the movie like begins and ends in the same shot too it has the um like that same that oh, same yeah. shot of like that same building in brooklyn uh it's the same shot in both places and like it's it's even the same thing where like the beginning of the movie that old like like old late old neighbor lady um asks larry mm-hmm. where are you going with all that luggage like greenwich village and it's like well what's in greenwich village and all that stuff and then at the very end of this movie it's like where are you going with all that luggage like los angeles and <laughs> all that <laughs> you know all that so yeah it's exactly the same yeah. came full circle in a way, but you had to you had to leave to go back in order for it to all make sense. How about that? Yeah. All right. So uh, next up, Greenwich Village, kind of a hidden gem from the seventies that uh, we hadn't seen before, and we both really liked it. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to uh, take a peek at that Twilight Time uh, Blu-ray. You know, yeah, that might be a thing. Next Blu-ray sale. It's the one. Uh, there it is. All right. So let's move on to letterbox reviews for uh, next up, Greenwich Village. I got a four-star review here from Entered the Void, uh, which reads. An hour and 50 minutes ago, I had no idea this film existed. I remember it well. It was a horrible time to be alive. Uh, <laughs> also, have the Coen brothers seen this? Question mark. <laughs> uh, which is fair. Here's a three and a half star from An Observer, uh, which reads, In a weird way, this sort of reminded me of a 1950s version of Girls, except for the guy is the main character. Wow. Which is uh, relatively accurate. Did you ever watch Girls on HBO, Mike? I was, I was a big fan of that show. Um, I didn't watch like the whole series, but I watched some of it and then I just never like followed through. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is a very similar, uh, thing. It's, you know, about a young group of friends in their twenties in New York, kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, it's, it's the proto girls in a weird way. So there is that. How about that? Uh, Matthew Price came in with a, a no star rating, but it just said, man, just perfect. If there was a great character actor within 300 miles of New York city in 1975, they are in this somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh don't check imdb don't spoil it just watch and keep being astounded by who shows up <laughs> yeah which is fair again i mean supporting role for some walk-in you got jeff goldblum in here bill murray popping up for two seconds uh <laughs> a couple of other kind of smaller people in there too uh here's a three and a half star review from evan Leekus, which reads i came here for a look at a group of beatniks and subterraneans airing through life in the 1950s that's what i get most of the time until the film gets its own way with strange woody allen-esque surrealist sequences Besides that, I loved a lot of what this film had to offer. This is such a great look at the group of people, and I'm glad to have watched this. I will continue to search for more beat films because I found it strange that most of this time period was devoted to literature. Uh, Still, I march on and will continue my search for purpose in these people who were gone long before I was born. Uh, The Anita scenes were easily the best, and I absolutely love the rest of the group's reactions to her continued suicide attempts. (laughs) Which is such a weird thing to say. (laughs) But it's true. Uh, Those are very fun scenes. What an awful way to phrase that, yes. but I, I admire the sentiment. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I found the one more as a four-star review from Hank, which reads, I want to hang out with these people. I think I may have hung out with these people. <laughs> is, <laughs> is there higher praise for a movie like this than that? Uh, and that's fair. This is a great hangout movie. Uh, is basically kind of my conclusion to it. It's, you know, just a great group of characters, good to hang out with. It's a good movie to vibe to. 
Uh, and I feel like it's one that, yeah, I think you're right. I feel like the Twilight Time Blu-ray might have to be a purchase for me at some point. I feel like I'm going to want to re- rewatch this movie, and I'm not going to want to, you know, find an illegal stream of it somewhere to uh, <laughs> get a hold yeah. of it this time around. But yeah, that is next up, Greenwich Village. Mike, uh, any final thoughts on the movie before we wrap this up? Um, what a what a fun little discovery we had here today. Yeah, this, you know? this is, that's uh, we're two for two in discovery so far between the California split and this movie. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping the next one. Uh, what is it? Special delivery seems Special pretty. Delivery, yes. Um, interesting which i believe played at the new beverly not too long ago um Ooh. so there is some interest there so there, there is that aspect of it at least uh, i mean they play some bad movies too but you never know <laughs> you never know i think it'll be a fun time but uh, that's also one that's really not easily available anywhere i might have to go with the uh, the online stream for that one too uh which is unfortunate yeah. but yeah there's no real streaming services uh i believe there is some kind of blu-ray for it like from a specialty label right um i think you might yes there is a kino lorber blu-ray of it Okay, so Kino Lorber has a Blu-ray special delivery, but obviously I probably won't be able to get that in time before we review the next episode. So Next week. Next week. It's a weekly <laughs> podcast now, Mike. My God. What are we going to do other than review Goldblum movies? Um, <laughs> that's what we're doing. Uh, yeah, next up, Greenwich Village. It's great. I would recommend picking up the Twilight Time Blu-ray or, or watching it uh, if you have any means to do so, uh, if you can. Uh, and that's going to be it for this week. Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Thank you for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Decretio. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. We're on Spotify now, too. You can check that out. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at jeffgoldbloomcompleteworks at gmail.com. And you can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the Review Zoo, which is a podcast about comic books and movie news and all that nerdy stuff. And you can follow this podcast on Twitter at GoldbloomPod. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen. Our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. And you can join us next week on The Complete Works where we're talking Goldblum's role in 1976's Special Delivery, which is a neo-noir comedy crime film uh, starring Bo Svensson <laughs> and Sybil Shepard. So uh, that should be fun. I think that'll be a lot of fun. That sounds... I wonder if the Coen brothers have seen that one also. <laughs> maybe these are all like... Maybe the Coen brothers were just huge students of Jeff Goldblum back in the day. Uh, just specifically 1976 yeah which would be weird because he's never been in any one of their movies but still (laughs) huh interesting yeah anyway hopefully we'll we'll be able to put a bonus app of uh, Mike might go to the movies out pretty soon too probably sometime next week Uh, so thanks so much for listening guys and remember to go for the gold balloon